Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head. If you dream of changing the world, but you're not sure where to start, the Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast will help you transform your life and business. This podcast is for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life that they desire. You deserve it, and it is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at getadoseofhope.com. Get a dose of hope.com. Today I'm pleased to welcome Hal Meyer. How would you define a coach? Too often we think in terms of an athletic coach with a temper throwing chairs across the basketball court or a football coach who yells all the time. If this is our definition of coach, we will fall into a role most of us don't want. Hal Meyer adopted a different definition of a coach. He wants to help people find their why and allow that to provide the motivation to push them forward. Everyone is motivated in some area of their lives, and if we can understand their why, we might be able to help them fully engage. Hal Meyer and Robert have a great conversation, but mostly about being grandpas. We also talk about coaching entrepreneurs and helping them build their business. Well, Hal, thank you so much for jumping on the show today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Robert. I've been looking forward to this. All right. So... I typically just let each guest share their entrepreneurial journey and tell us how they got to doing what they're doing now. All right. Well, I'll, I'll run it back to uh, getting out of college. I coached for about five years, high school football and basketball. And then I went off to seminary in Texas and then uh, served on a church staff in Jacksonville and in Florida for years, all type of different roles. I was a a lead pastor, a planning pastor. I was a small groups person. I was an executive pastor. But while I was doing that, I started doing some contract training with Bell South. And uh, I did some for uh, Farm Bureau as well and enjoyed that edge of it and saw so many principles that crossed over into the uh, biblical realm. So I began doing a good bit of that. And, and I just retired from full-time ministry but in my retirement, I decided I just didn't want to, you know, play golf and pickleball the rest of my life. I mean, that's fun, but I want to do something that brought meaning. So uh, one of the things I've always enjoyed is coaching and adding value to uh, people. And one of the things I've realized, I actually had a guy tell me this. He said, Hal, we've got so many men and women out there in the business world and uh, in ministry world that have, don't have a father image or father role whether it's a spiritual father, it's an earthly father, just so many looking for an encourager, really, uh, a mentor. So I decided I would uh, move into that realm as I left full-time ministry and just kind of let's let it settle and see what happened. And I mean, at this point, I'm having a ball. I think I'm coaching nine business leaders slash owners and uh, about 11 pastors. So that's just been a fun thing for me. And, and for me, it's this. Um, the pace of life is such an interesting thing. We all know life's a marathon. 
And some of us run life as a marathon of sprints. <laughs> and so in my coaching, I really tap into all the different elements of their life, not just their business. Because if you succeed in business and fail at home, nobody wants that. Or you succeed in business but fail in your health. So mine's a, a holistic type coaching. I help them in the areas they're looking at. But I'm asking questions because I want it to be life-giving. I want them to find a life-giving way to, to run it. So that's kind of a, a quick thumbnail of me. <laughs> well, I appreciate you sharing. We have obviously a similar background. And, and so definitely appreciate opportunities when our faith and and a holistic approach to to leading people, you know, is involved, especially when we're bringing that into the business world. So appreciate what you're doing and respect um, what you're doing. And of course, understand the opportunities to play pickleball and golf. You know, you, you got to have something in between. So get you out of the sun, right? We don't want you in the sun too much. Well, that's all that is, is in the sun. So <laughs> I'm fairly dark, but I'll load up with a bunch of sunscreen too. So my dermatologist <laughs> says I need to. Nice. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned questions in there and, and, and asking yeah. questions. And so I, I'm a, Love curiosity, and, and of course, as, as a coach, curiosity is a powerful tool. So, um, so let's dig into the power of asking questions. Yeah, yeah uh, for me, it got started uh, back when I first became a student at Ken Blanchard's Situational Leadership. I don't know if you're familiar with that work, but yeah, just yeah. a helpful tool for me that I built my parenting off of, I mean, all my relationships. And one of the key things is that is asking questions instead of making assumptions. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I've learned is when I'll ask a question, I give value to somebody. I show my respect what they're saying. And when I listen to them, it even adds more. Uh, one of the books I read recently, I don't remember which one, I was trying to recall, but it said they did a, a, an electrode map of the brain. And the brain could not distinguish, I mean, the, excuse me, the same area lit up in the brain when a person felt loved as when they felt heard. So that was pretty powerful for me. So uh, I recently wrote a book called Smart Ask, uh, you know, questions that lead your team to win. And the whole premise there is using questions to discover where people are, where they want to go, and questions to help them get there. Rather than being so prescriptive in a coaching method, I, I'm much more uh, on a different angle of opening up and finding out what they're passionate about and helping them move there. Well, and I think obviously we come from a similar space that I believe the solutions are inside of us. And, and you know, my role as, as a coach is to help draw the solution out from, from the person. Never assume that, that they need to be told what to do. There's way too much of that going on in the world. <laughs> well, there's so, nothing more offensive than knowing how to do something and somebody tell you how to do it. <laughs> right? So and, if I ask a question... And they already know I don't have to edit it. Now, there is a level where questions don't work. I mean, if I'm going to ask you, I don't have to be an expert in your area to ask questions. However, if you're doing brain surgery, me asking you questions will not help. There's a <laughs> level of understanding and experience that are required before questions are helpful in some of the areas. But that's not a reason to back off using questions. <laughs> well, absolutely. Yes, there's, there's places where, but I, I agree with you that, each of us is an expert in our own life. Right. And, and I think one of the biggest challenges um, for the brain is when the brain says, oh, I know that. 
right? right. And, and, and so the minute the brain says, oh, I know that already, right? It shuts down. And I think one of the challenges as a coach is to get past that little trick that the brain plays, right? All of us, all of us have read, pers- you know, self-help and personal development books. And all of us, all of us know things that are better for our health, that if we made those choices, right. you know, they'd be better for our health. But yet we're still not applying a lot of the things that we know. So knowledge is definitely not the answer. No. Knowledge with the internet now, uh, people that are knowledge based, whether it's coaching, teaching, preaching, any, they're missing the boat because knowledge is it's on my phone, right? I mean, actually, it's on my wrist. I can ask a question to my wrist and get the answer with this uh, Apple Watch. So you're absolutely on point with that. I fully agree. Yeah, and so the challenge as a coach is 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 not helping somebody have more knowledge. I think we've got plenty of systems for that, right? School crams kids full of knowledge, and right. and the news crams us full of knowledge. And there's just all these places for knowledge. Like you said, Google, we can we can get all the information we need from from Google. But it's helping somebody make the commitment to apply the knowledge, right? And 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 want the change in their life right. more than. Yeah. I, I guess it's even more than a want, right? Because everybody wants to be healthier. If you ask them, uh, of course I want oh, sure. to be healthier. But taking that from a want to application of the knowledge to to the life change necessary is is where the real you know application oh, comes in. Yeah, you know, I lift three days a week and I get a lot of exercise. But I've got a guy coming over for dinner tonight. He and his wife, and he is just incredible shape. I'd like to be in as good a shape as him, but I'm not willing to put in the work to get there. <laughs> and I think that's where a lot of us land. We'd like to be there, but are we willing to put in the work to get there? I, I mean, I, you Carol Dweck's book on mindset to me is just incredible when it talks about everybody can improve if you've got a growth mindset. A fixed mindset says, nope, this is, this is who I am, and I'm judged by what I've done as opposed to by my effort with a growth mindset. So, yeah, I, I, I fully agree. And one of the challenges for us is if we're not asking questions, we don't get out of our own headspace, right? I mean, we start thinking and we run, somebody says something, instead of asking a question, we run scenarios. And usually it's not best case scenarios. It's worst case. <laughs> Carol Dweck in her book gives this illustration that I've used several times the last couple of days. A guy and a, a gal are dating. They're sitting on the couch. Uh, she's thinking, this is it. We've been dating now for six months. Uh, we're going to get married. And they're watching TV. And he looks at her and she, he says, I need some space. Now, if she stays in her own head, she's going, what does that mean? What have I done? Am I pushing too fast? Are we going too fast? Does he want to back up? Instead of chasing that rabbit in your head, if she were to ask the question, help me understand what you mean when you say I need more space, and he merely says, I'm just scrunched on this couch too far. Give me about two or three inches and I can be comfortable. Changes the whole scenario. And that's the value of questions. We make assumptions and operate based on those. And we're a mile off many times. Oh, so many times. I One of the examples I give is, is my daughter texted me. And, and this happens a lot in texting and emailing, which, of course, is our that's modern it. communication. And, and she said, I'm going to have lunch with a friend. And I said, okay. <laughs> and and in my mind, there was no emotional judgment or or anything else. And then I get a phone call from my wife saying, 
your daughter thinks you're mad at her. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> I don't understand what, what's happened here. And, and that was exactly what had happened is she applied an emotion that she was feeling inside of her own head to my response, making the assumption that I didn't want her to spend time with this other person. And because of that assumption, she was amping up this entire um, absolutely emotional conversation. And and couples do it all the time. And of course, it happens in families all the time. But couples do it exactly how you know Carol Dweck describes in that conversation. And you know, an, another example is you know she doesn't kiss you goodbye as you're driving out of the driveway on your way to work, and so you spend the whole day, eight hours of your workday, thinking. Oh, she's mad at me about something. I don't know what I did. And and you start trying to pinpoint all the reasons that she's mad at you. And then you get home that night. And what have you done? You built up this entire argument. You walk in the front door with this attitude of defense. And guess what's going to happen? You and her are going to have a fight. You've yeah. set it up. You have no choice. And neither one of you knows what you're fighting about. And if all he would have done is said, hey, how come you didn't kiss me goodbye this morning? And she says, oh, I was reaching down to grab the newspaper because it was sitting behind your car. And I didn't want you to run it over. Right. Right. I had that same ex experience with my wife. We were talking about she uh, we're, we live in Florida. She was grilling out. It was the summer. Some chicken. She knows I love chicken. I came in. She's coming. I said, what are you doing? She said, what do you mean? I said, why are you grilling? And she went, oh, he's not interested in my food. So she said, well, make your own dinner. And she went on. And then we got back together later. And she said, what was that about? I, I said, well, babe, he, I didn't want you out in the heat. I mean, I like chicken, but she went, oh. But here was the thing. She'd already attached an emotion to it. She said to me, you know, even the truth won't break up an emotion. It takes a, takes a little bit of time. So once you've attached that emotion and you spent the energy, which you say running it through and through in your head, you you find out the truth. You still the emotion. Why am I so angry at him? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's crazy how quickly our mind attaches something to it. Right. And and it it is really hard to let it go. Um, one of the things that I've worked, you know, as a pastor in helping couples is is why would you ever assume the negative? Right. And, and you mentioned how quickly we jump to the negative and, right. and attach that negativity to something. And and a couple that assumes the negative. Right. Oh, he doesn't want my cooking <laughs> or he doesn't right. like my cooking or, right. you know, oh, he's mad at me. We automatically jump to the negative rather than assume the positive. Right. If I if I have a misunderstanding and I assume the positive, like, oh, my wife hasn't, you know, come home late from work a typical person is going to jump to the negative. Oh, she's seeing somebody else, you know, right. Oh, she's having an affair rather than, Oh, maybe she's picking up something nice for dinner or, you know, you know it's so, it's so powerful. Yeah. Go ahead, button and ask a question. <laughs> I'll do that. I save myself a lot of wasted emotional energy, right? Well, but and you save the brain from attaching something because then the, the, that curiosity makes the brain go, oh, I wonder, rather than, oh, I know. Right. And, oh, and that's the, good. That's really good. Yeah, the difference between wonder and know. Like yeah. yeah, so I, I love to help my brain stay in the wonder space 
instead of the no space. But but the brain loves to know, right? We love to be know-it-alls. Man, I spent I spent too much time in my 20s and 30s, you know, knowing it all and having all the answers and and not gaining anything. And right. now that I've figured it out, it's like I want to I want to explore and and be more curious and and stay in that space of wonder because it's so much more powerful. Oh, I agree. That's good. So I know you you love questions, and so I I want to explore and I want to help people. What what are some questions? What are some ways that they can stay in that space? And for me, the the thing I must watch is asking open ended questions that have divergent answers as opposed to closed ended. I'm going to use a biblical context. A closed ended question would be like this: How many disciples did Jesus have? And there's only one right. You know, there's twelve. And it sets up you as the expert. A lot of people teach from that vantage point. They'll ask questions that people don't know. So, oh, you don't know. Let me tell you. And what you're, instead of asking an open-ended question, I wonder why Jesus chose only 12 disciples. So instead of the closed-ended, and then I used to do training with Lyman Coleman. I don't know if you know that name or not. I do. He, he did, I used to train their trainers. And he's the guy that wrote the questions with every verse in the Bible. And he really focused on open-ended, get people thinking. It's not open-ended as into the theology. It's open-ended as into the application. Right. So the same thing in life, the, the truth isn't up. It's how do you apply the truth? And so for me with questions, I love to, I have discovered if I'll ask the right questions and I'm tired, I don't have to talk much. <laughs> I mean, it's probably lazy, but it's also I'll listen. But if you'll ask questions, it's amazing how people will talk and never even think to look up. So <laughs> I'll use it. But I, I mean, I've got grandkids, my wife and, and, and other people. And a funny thing with my grandkids, I asked them, we do a thing every year called Camp Poggy. That's kind of funny. The name Poggy came from my granddaughter. She was the first grandchild and she flipped grandpa to Poggy. And so we started calling it, I, I do a thing, we do family vacation, my wife and I do some stuff with the kids. And a couple of years ago, we opened up a Camp Poggy store, which was merely this. I had money printed with my wife's and my picture on it. And then we brought all the junk they'd left at our house. And every night we'd open up the store, they could earn money by respect and trying hard things and all that. Well, at the end of that vacation, I said, what was the most exciting part? I would have never, they said, the store, Camp Poggy store. So we've kept that in every year. But if I hadn't asked the question, I'd have never known. I thought it was, hey, it was throwing you in the water. It was, no, it was the store at night, the anticipation. So we've continued that. with. And they're buying, they're buying back their own stuff that they left laying around. You bet I do. That plus other stuff we get in the dollar store. I guess it's a dollar fifty store now. But they just love the idea of getting a chance to earn it. And one of the things I do is I want them to try new things and hard things just to develop that growth mindset of, of trying stuff. So I'll ask the question and then I'll, I'll actually give them money. I pay them right in front of the others, uh, you know, 50 bucks for this. And then we charge them for ice cream at night, 50 bucks. But it's it's my it's Camp Poggy bucks. So but it just brings this sense of. uh fun for them but for me i would have never guessed that i thought what a cheese factor and that's what <laughs> they love. 
So questions yeah, up what people really want if you'll ask and wait. Yeah, as a parent, I wish I would have had more of the idea of curiosity and wonder. And it's too easy to to want to be right, right? We we're right finders and we spend all we spend so much time just right finding, right? We we correct each other at the dinner table saying, no, there weren't 12 disciples, there were only eleven because right. Judas killed himself. Or you know, all these just just throwing out the 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 right and somebody's trying to be right more than the other person instead of being able to ask those questions. And so I, I, I'm at least proud of myself that I've learned at this stage and gotten to that place and was walking with my grandson in the midst of COVID. They were still living here with us and, and we're walking and he sees the moon and he's like, grandpa, I want to sleep on the moon. And rather than saying, Oh, that'll never happen, which is the typical response. I was able to respond with, Oh, tell me more. What would that be like? Exactly. Great. And question. then, and more. then, and then we spent the the next couple walks talking about well, how can we get there? And so now we've got a whole list of you know, we're we're actually making a book out of it and and having it illustrated of you know how can we get there? And his first idea was tying Grandpa's ladders together and and having Grandma you know crochet a rope so we can throw the rope up there and pull it down and <laughs> and so but but allowing that curiosity and I I think. You know, the other the other places as parents that that's, can be so challenging is is when kids make mistakes, when kids fail and, and we're so quick to jump on it and and. And, you know, upset that something's happened, like the milk spilled, right? <clears throat> Rather yeah. than leaning into it and saying, oh, how can we take advantage of this? <laughs> right. How can we do something different with the spilt milk rather than, you know, just just oh that was a terrible thing right um i i want i want the kids to experience failure in a positive way and say all right we got to learn from this but how can we play with it too yeah and i think one of the most damaging questions you can ask is why mm. so i've got an employee that does something and it's not wise and i look at it and go why in the world would you do that oh now that's a condemning question oh i'm asking a question al no, it's got an assumption behind it. If you want to ask the question, you go, help me understand the process that brought you to that decision. Uh, Tell me what your outcome was. for. What was your goal for doing that? And let them begin to process it so they can understand where they missed it. But instead of attacking, the why question is, why would you do that? The assumption is you're an idiot. What are you thinking? And then you get that kind of response. Instead of, you know, help me understand how you got there. As you look at this, where would this take you? And with kids, if you'll ask questions that way, much better. It's not the right or wrong. It's what the process was in thinking. And then you say, I mean, then a fair question to ask is, well, how did that work? Well, it didn't get me there. Well, what would you try next? And get them out of there and, and get them on there instead of leaving them with you just failed. Now, what can you try next? Because, you know, failure is not final. Uh, it, failure doesn't define you. It's just one more thing you've learned that doesn't work. Oh, absolutely. Those are so good. I, I agree. Well, hell, why is a question? We're asking why, but it's so loaded, right? And we're quick to, right. to jump to, you know, why on earth did you do that? 
and 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 you can hear the judgment and you can feel right. it right the vibrational energy you're putting out there is just is just blah <laughs> rather right. than you know ra rather than curiosity um but it can be challenging to Absolutely. to stop and and want to ask a question rather than and engage rather than correct and and judge right we're so quick to correct and judge yeah i think if you'll ask the right questions and, and to me what, what i'm using questions for is to draw focus because in life there's a lot of things going on and oftentimes people can't decide the next step because they're trying to focus on five things i'll give you a physical metaphor describing this because i didn't first believe this and i was going to train the trainer and the guy said, asking questions will help bring focus. And he said, let's do a physical metaphor. And he said, uh, you could go, you could have a person shooting baskets and ask a question. It'll help them draw focus. So I said, that's not going to work. So I went home. My son was about 12. And we had a basketball court out in the uh, driveway. And I said, okay, let's see how many baskets you can make out of 10 from 15 feet. Well, I put pressure on with how many out of 10. So the goal is you got to do well. He made four out of 10, which isn't bad. But I, then I started saying, all right, forget how many. And I gave him the ball. I said, tell me what you notice when you're shooting. Well, the ball spins this way. All right, how about this time? And just kept asking him questions while he was doing it because when he's focusing, he made 10 out of 10. <laughs> he got on a roll. But what happens is when you ask a question, you can get people out of their head space that they're trying to chase down three things, and they focus on that one thing. What's, you know, what's the big issue right now? My question off when I'm coaching, what's the big rock? What's the pressure point you're feeling right now? And and go after one of them. Because so many people are, are we can get like that mule, what, trapped between two two bales of hay. You, you can't make a decision, so you die of starvation in between. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's so powerful. Um, you know, one of the examples that, that I was taught when I was coaching was the idea of they used ski instructors to teach tennis, but they taught the ski instructors in teaching tennis to do exactly what you did with your son to ask questions. Well, well, how did it feel? Well, what did you notice there? And, and the tennis players improved because the ski instructors weren't focused on teaching them how to play tennis. They were focused on drawing out the very best in them, which is really making them focus. Exactly. Let me tell you something interesting in the tennis uh, mindset. 10th grade, I played high school tennis. I was number three on the team. And one day we practiced, I did a two-hand backhand. Now, obviously, this was a long time ago. Nobody was doing it except the ladies. And the coach, who wasn't very sensitive to the arena and, and to all this, he said, how only girls swing like that? Now, I quit doing that. And now all you do swinging like that is win Wimbledon. It's not a gender <laughs> thing. It's an effectiveness. What we've got to look at is, does it work? It may not be the same way we did. I mean, if cutting your grass with scissors work, why get a lawnmower? Right. So allow growth and start talking outcomes. And that's that's what uh, really helped me was when you start realizing, you know what? They may not do it the same way you did. They may not do Let them find their way and let them improve. Like you said, how did that work for you? What else could you try? What did you notice? It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting how when you're an expert, 
you're caught in the process and, right. and you're you're an expert at what we've done versus mm-hmm. an expert at achieving outcome. And right. so changing that changing that focus from process to outcome uh, is very challenging for for a lot of us right. because you know you're you're taught well this works but how do we get something different and of course our culture you know it's a small percentage of people that think at the level of something new and something creative and so i love tapping into creativity and imagination and pulling helping people pull out new <laughs> but it's it that's it's super challenging it's so outside of the norm i read a book in the 90s that bumped me in that direction by Robert Kriegel called if it ain't broke, break it. (laughs) And the whole premise was just because what you're doing works doesn't mean there's not a better way. Try Mm. new ways, try new ideas. And most of the break, all the breakthroughs come that way. I mean, absolutely. Sports. I mean, they used to tell you, I played basketball. Don't lift weights during the season. It'll mess with your jump shot. Now everybody does because a little guy named Michael Jordan, best player in the world, started lifting during the season and found that it would keep him stronger. Yeah. So, yeah, if it ain't broke, break it. That was a funny book. <laughs> yeah, well, and just that idea, right, that willingness to to break it. And I think so often we're, we're caught in the process and it's working and we're satisfied, right? It, and it falls into the comfort zone. And so then we just keep it there. And, and so that idea of having to break it so that you have to fix it again um, is pretty rare. Although uh, I remember breaking something as a kid that I couldn't fix. And my, my dad wasn't too happy with, with the outcome. <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I was taught a lesson on not breaking stuff. <laughs> oh, I bet. Yeah. So that, that, that adds to the challenge, right? All of these, all these ideas and, and things that have been put on us by, by others and, yes. and parents and teachers and, and, and really digging into those, but it's the power of asking questions of that story. We're telling ourselves that, that help dig into those spaces. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. The thing I've discovered, too, is if I use questions in my coaching, uh, especially when I was executive pastor on church staff, and I would help them bring focus. I'd ask questions, all right, what would you do next? What would you do next? And what's your time frame? Okay, let me know how it goes. Basically, the format in the book. They would come back to me and they'd get more coaching later. But if they ever came back and I wasn't available, they'd think, well, what would Hal going to do? They just ask questions. They ask questions to themselves and they get there because they've learned the process. And they start self-coaching, which is what we want out of everybody, right? You want your kids to grow up learning how to think and learning how to think outcomes. So, yeah. Super powerful. Um, it it kind of reminded me of the, the bracelets everybody had in the in the 90s and 2000s, right? The the WWJD, what would Jesus do? And I, and as as a pastor, you know, one of the challenges for that is all the assumptions people make on what would Jesus do versus 
what would Jesus really do? Exactly. That's what he changed. <laughs> w W uh, R D J J R D. Jesus really. What would Jesus really do? Exactly. <laughs> and so the the challenge is 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 getting rid of those assumptions, right? And and recognizing yes. that there's room to there's room to grow and ask another question right. <laughs> rather than make an assumption. Well, so good. All right. So let's talk about the value of, I mean, obviously relationships are super important in this idea of, of being able to ask questions and, and, but the value of connecting and the value of um, just, just relationships in general for our growth journey, um, for our ability to, um, see beyond the forest, right? You know, people don't do well by themselves. I mean, if you move to the mountains of Montana and you live alone, you wind up doing crazy things. And so we were built for community and we're also better when we really engage. I'm better because a good friend will say, how, you know, when you say that, that just feels like you're attacking. I didn't know that that was a blind spot. So your blind spots become open. It also allows you to care for others. And the thing I've discovered is, especially in my coaching, helping others go further faster is more rewarding than it ever was for me to succeed. So my success is in theirs. And in life, it's that way. If you're married, you're not competing with your spouse. If you are, you're going to struggle. If you got kids and you're going to compete with them, it'll last for a while. I remember my son was a basketball player. Well, still is. Uh, as well. And we would play and I could always beat him. Then one summer on vacation, he started blocking all my shots. And I said, okay, you're better than me. I'm an old man. Let me shoot the three pointers and don't block them and, and we'll be fine. <laughs> but competing with people doesn't share information. In fact, in, in business, uh, oftentimes the spiffs, the rewards they give salespeople are for individual, um, action and, and success. And that often goes against the whole team because if somebody learns some key phrases in selling and they're winning the spiffs, the, the monetary reward at the end of the month, they're not going to share that with the rest of the team. So instead of uh, becoming to better together, they're siloed. In silos, you don't get better. Uh, cool. Living alone, you don't get, get better. So I, I think in community, and in community, if you can learn to ask questions, I mean, I'm going, <laughs> I love to cruise anywhere, Florida and South. However, my wife has been wanting to go on an Alaskan cruise. And I didn't know until I started asking questions what she wanted to do for her next birth. And I said, okay, now I'm not interested in it at all. I mean, I'm going to go, it's, I'm going to be with her. It's going to be fun. But the amount of money we spend on that, I could get five other cruises. However, <laughs> Five other cruises wouldn't do the same thing for her one cruise does. That's the one she wants. So you got to ask questions. And and, and I'm, I'm the happiest when I wake my wife happy. Or oh. I can say her, and, I, and, and you know that. And I think hey. most spouses, when we operate that way, it makes for a different relationship. Oh, I've, there's so much in there you, you mentioned. First of all, just the idea of not competing with our spouse. I, I yeah. think you know, so many people get into marriage and get into a relationship and and there's this struggle for power and control. <laughs> and, and it's like, wait, why, why are you power fighting for power and control with the person you love the most on the planet? 
if the person right. you love the most on the planet is your partner, it's you and her against the world. And, and you've got a journey to go on together. And that's right. the, that's the idea, right? The adventure together. And you just mentioned that with the idea of the cruise, it's not about the cost. It's about the adventure together. And, right. and we're going to both experience something incredible because we're doing it together. And so, so much power in that. <coughs> Because that's the same thing you talked about with the collaboration, right? When we're when we have a destination, a, a journey to accomplish together, we figure out how to get there. We figure out how to, uh, and and it's it's her and I figuring out that together, rather than her and I figuring out how we can control or manipulate each other, <laughs> which so many people get caught up on focusing on. Oh, how can I take the power, and how can I have the control? How can I be the boss? It's like I our relationship doesn't need a boss. We've got each other and we know where we're going and man, we're having a heck of a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, a recent book I, I read Liz Wiseman's book called multipliers. And she talks about two types of bosses. Those who are multipliers who get the best out of everybody, share the credit, don't take the credit and the diminishers. Those are the people. There's one genius and a bunch of minions or huh. multipliers is a room full of geniuses. And diminishers, nobody wants to work for because they speak, they hold up all your faults and they take all the credit. Uh, and so it's interesting what you're talking about in relationships. We really are better together. Uh, I've done uh, several things uh, in, in groups. And when I did training for Bell South with movies and we would have people do ratings individually and then get as a team and do ratings. And every time the team score was much higher than the average individual score. In fact, the highest individual score didn't touch the team score. And the reason is, if you'll be open and learn, we can all learn. But if we're stuck in this fixed mindset, we're afraid somebody's going to think we're dumb. So we're not going to ask a question. I was in college working in the summer in a paper coating plant. My dad had been, was the uh, an executive with Bowwater Paper Company. And so I came home and said, Dad, they want me to run the press for the paper coating. Uh, while this guy goes on vacation, tell me what to do. And he looked at me and he said, son, did you ask your boss? I said, no, I didn't want him to know. I didn't know. He said, he already knows because you didn't ask a question. <laughs> <laughs> and so beginning of, beginning of learning, of, if you have to be perfect, you're not going to learn. However, if you can learn from everybody, you'll get a chance to grow. Well, and the, the power of collaboration is is really so much more powerful. Um, my wife's working on her next book and, and it really, it, it's taking the concept of the mastermind, but applying it specifically to marriage and the marriage mastermind and the examples of great marriages that have empowered one or the other or both of the marriage partners to a higher level because right. of that collaboration and support that they created for each other. Um, and And it's just, it's incredible to see when that happens, and even in bigger groups, like you talked about the examples you give with, you know, training, when all people in a group are focused on the same outcome, their minds align together to accomplish that, and and really great things can happen when we've let go of the idea of somebody has to be in charge or in control and get the credit. Yep, yep. So let's talk a little bit about mentors and and for entrepreneurs i think mentorship is is crucial 
Um, but a lot of people are afraid to find a mentor or afraid to, to ask for a mentor. And so I think it's another place, a great place where questions can, can, yeah. but like you mentioned, you know, did you ask the boss? Your dad said, did you ask the boss? Like, well, I didn't want him to, you know, think I didn't know. <laughs> and so the idea of asking for a mentor, asking somebody that's already been down the road for a lot of people is, is scary. Cause they're like, I, I don't want him to know that I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, and in my coaching, it's coaching slash mentoring plus sometimes giving some how-to stuff. But I am pleased when I find people who have several, often mentors you need for different areas. You may need a financial mentor because not everybody's the best in finance. You may want a parenting mentor. But the key is I always wanted to find people who are further down the road than me. And in my thing with parenting, I wanted to see people who had grown kids who were doing well and ask them how they did it because I, I'm six, five. So I'm big enough to get compliance <laughs> I, compliance. I want their heart. And so I would ask people when I saw their, tell me what you did. Tell me what mistakes you made. Tell me what I should avoid. And so a guy named Bill Billingsley, a pastor down in South Florida, gave me some of the best advice. He says, how my first child, I was so disagreeable with, and I always had to be right. And she was strong-willed and she had to be right. And I blew it. He said, I didn't teach her how to disagree with me and win. He said, do this. Because I have a, tend to have a strong personality. She, he said, teach your kids how to disagree with you and win. And so I set about and I built a thing called three A's. Uh, whatever they wanted to disagree with me. Three things. Attitude, audience, and have some alternatives. And... Um, work in that. And, and what was very neat was they learned that they've applied it in life, but they felt like they could always disagree. And I would say, help me understand why. Help me understand what you're thinking. And they would explain it. And uh, <laughs> I'll tell you a fun one. My daughter may shoot me for this, but I won't give you her name. She, <laughs> <up>. <laughs> she was probably in the 10th grade. Uh, maybe 11th and a bunch of her buddies were going out to sleep, uh, camp out in a girl's backyard. And she wanted to go and listen, Ashley was a great kid. So my first question was, uh, so are, are mom and dad going to be there? Oh yeah. I said, uh, how about, is there going to be any boys? And she said, well, they're going to camp out on the other side of the yard. I said, yeah. I said, I don't, I don't know how excited I am about that. I mean, but dad, we're not going to do anything. I said, babe, I trust you. I, I just know things can happen. And, and that's probably not the best scenario. And then she said, but dad, Ryan thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> now, my, Ryan was going to be the valedictorian of his class. Hal's one of Hal's best friends, my son's best friends. And so then I asked her this question. I said, let me ask you a question. Will Ryan buy you a car? She said, well, no. I said, well, he... Pay for your college? Well, no. How about your wedding? Will he step up and pay for that? Well, no. So I said, will he help care for your kids? No. So when he dies, is he going to leave you an inheritance? She said, no. I said, well, that's my level of vesting. I'm going to deliver all that. When he's vested the way I am, I think his opinion matters. But right now, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a fun time with her. But it just teaches the principle Asking questions, investing, and I wanted to know why. 
and and who and not that who y'all listen to. I mean, if I'm talking about how to have a good marriage, I don't want to talk to a guy who's been married seven times. Right. <laughs> I don't mean he's a bad guy. I just mean he doesn't know how to stay married. Right. Right. So that, well, that's kind of the idea. And mentors I look for is people that have succeeded in that area. I still look for them today in some sport. I play a good bit of water volleyball and some of the better guys and say, tell me what you're thinking. Tell me how you're doing that. Uh, a lot of my mentors now are in books that I'm reading, but uh, that kind of general development. Well, mentors in books are super powerful, right? Because then you can get their voice and and their knowledge and wisdom with, without having to meet them face to face. And so that's right. the power of a book and the power of reading for sure. You know, uh, as a father of a daughter, my question would have, would have been, you know, why do you think Ryan thinks this is a good idea? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so you did a much better job in, in exploring, <laughs> setting up, setting a precedent for why your authority was better than Ryan's. But, um, yeah. <laughs> man, I, I tell you that those, those are the hardest years for sure. That, that transition. But you know, I, for me, I love those years because I, I I took to a coaching method. I We had uh, no curfews for our kids after the 10th grade. I made sure they had a credit card and I had a limit and they had to pay it off at the end of a month. All these, but I wanted them to experience freedom. So when they got off to college, they didn't get stupid. Right. I, I'm with you. I, my goal, our wife, my wife and I goal was that our home was a safe space so right. that, that if they were running away from something, they were running here, not somewhere else. Right. I, I disagree it, with you on saying that's the hardest time. I've got grown kids now with kids. Right. And here's where it gets the hardest. And people say, why would that be? Because now if I make a suggestion and they haven't asked for it, it's criticism. Oh, and I get that. Yeah. So I'm now kind of, I get to give advice if they ask and they do some, but there's oh. times I think ah, I wouldn't do it that way. But then I think they don't need that. Shut your mouth. <laughs> have the relationship. Absolutely. And not always right. And so my wife and I sometimes have those conversations. We go, you know what? We love the direction our kids are headed. They're doing well. Let's not mess up the soup by starting to add critic in there. Because yeah. they hear every suggestion is a critic. Unless they ask a question. Well, yeah, that's super powerful. Our challenge is, you know, our our daughter's come to work for us. So she's doing oh. uh, so she's doing work, you know. So she's here at the house every day during the week and and uh and and trying to work for us while of course you know talking about her family and her challenges and 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 you're right we can't give suggestions without right. being asked and yet the conversations are, are happening where we want to jump in and the the funnier one is my son who's still younger he's 22 and uh he calls to ask all the time and we have long conversations half hour 45 minutes and at the end i'm pretty sure you're not going to do a thing I've just suggested, are you? <laughs> why Why are you calling to have this conversation and ask me all these questions if you're not going to do anything that I suggest? But I'm I'm happy that he calls and we have the conversation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting time. And, you know, the thing my wife and I are the most proud of is, is that we were able to raise our kids and discipline them and provide them yeah. the boundaries and provide them the safe space when life, when life hit them and they made terrible mistakes. And, and I reacted, I still reacted. I was still not 
in total control. But after I reacted and said, oh, that's so dumb. All right, let's, how can we do this? How can we work through this together yeah. and, and walk through the consequences? I can't take those consequences away. Right. Uh, you know, I'd love to, I wish I could. Every parent does, right? We wish we could take the consequences away. But of course, recognizing that growing through the consequences and dealing with the, the lifelong consequences in some cases is sure. part of the growing process. And, and that's the reality of adulthood is everything we get in our life is the consequences of our actions. And you so know, it used to be parents that got too close were called helicopter parents. But but now they're lawnmower parents. They're trying <laughs> to prepare the road for their kids. You know, I want to make sure it's smooth. And the problem with that, uh, the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, very interesting book where he talks about because we grew up with kids that got trophies for everything and never corrected, they get into work and they want to know why they're not promoted yet. Mm. Why they don't have a raise yet? Because they haven't learned how to deal with failure or uh, missing something or, or whatever that is. So, yeah, the long we term. Yeah, we were, we were very similar. I, I definitely wanted my kids to face the world and have a safe space to come yeah. back to and, and a safe space where we're, look, we're not going to, we're not going to judge. We're not going to, we're, we're going to try not to get upset, but I guarantee we're going to help you <laughs> and right. we're going to love you. And so, so yeah, our kids did stupid stuff, but, but they always came back and, and faced the consequences. And, and now that they're adults, they call us daily. They love us. Sure. They're, <laughs> and for me, that's, you know, I, I, I didn't want to be my kids' friends when they were growing up. Yeah, we were buddies. We were friends, but I was still dad. And I still had, they, there was discipline in our house. There were boundaries, rules, whatever you want to call them. You know, we had guidelines and they got looser, right? I, I was similar right. to you. Like, you know, they're going to go out and do, you know, there was, there was a few non-negotiables. The, the one non-negotiable yeah. for, for sure was, if you drink, don't drive. I don't give a rip what happens, where you're at, what you're doing. If you're drinking, stay there. Call me. Call somebody. There's too many, too many options. Right. This day and age for you to drink and drive. I probably can't stop you from drinking. Right. But if you drive, I will take away everything <laughs> because that's just one that I can't, I can't tolerate. I have well, zero and, tolerance for that. And it gives them a release. You'll come get them and and. and I'll I, well, I there's so many there. options, right? With there's there's oh, so yes. many. We didn't have cell phones growing up. We didn't have all these options. Like there's so many options, and it's just easier to make that decision ahead of time, because you can't make that decision once you started drinking. <laughs> and yeah. so, oh, yeah. so that was the, that was one that was definitely a non-negotiable for me. Um, and when and, you created a place where your kids knew they were loved, when my daughter was in the tenth grade, I, I looked at her. I said, "Listen, babe, told my son the same thing." Um, if you get stupid, start doing drugs, drink and run off with some guy, get, you know, that all, I will chase you down. I will find you. I will bring you back and I will still love you. You can't do a thing that's going to get away from my love. I To take off the thing of judgment, because you're right. If your kid thinks you're going to be mad because they drank, yeah, that's not a wise decision. But I, if, if you call me, I'm not going to, I told my daughter. You call me if you're on a date and you don't like the way it's going, I'll come get you. I'm not going to lecture you or yell at you. Right. And that, then it makes it a safe space, exactly what you're saying. And, you know, I think employees want the same thing. They want a place where they can experiment, and mistakes are seen as experiments, not as final. You don't get final from a – you don't get fired from a mistake. It's seen as a, a – you trust them. They were headed the right way. 
and that's that's the strength there. Yeah. Well, and and just just having the space to 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 face the consequences, right? To to deal with. All right, you made this mistake. You know, you wrecked this or you did that, and it, yep. there's going to be some costs involved. <laughs> and so, but you won't have to face those costs alone. You might have to get a second job because I'm not going to get a second job to pay for your costs, but I'll support you and help you in the process. And so I think the that best was part the- for my son was <laughs> having to pay for a, a a slight accident he had. He bumped the guy's bumper. It was an old Volvo. The guy wanted the bumper replaced. So he got a second summer job working nights and uh, much better driver since then. Much more yeah. better. But consequences are great teachers, right? Uh, well, it is. And I think like you mentioned earlier, there's too many kids. The lawnmower parents are are taking away the consequences and taking care of everything for them. And, and I think it's making it'll make poor adults. It's absolutely going to make right. adults that aren't prepared. Life is life is hard. And I. I was similar to you that I don't want my kids leaving home and, and facing this world that, that they didn't know was out there. Right. And right. The bumps and challenges and, and realities of the world can, can hit you in the face if you're not prepared for, for dealing with that. And, and we kind of, we kind of did it to them when they were little, our, our kids grew up in South America. They went to a Christian school, they oh. went to all Christian environments. And, and so they lived in all this, this bubble. And then we brought them home and, and my first realization, we're standing in my dad's backyard and my dad's talking to his neighbor and my daughter says, daddy, they're smoking. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, here's my daughter at 11 years old and hasn't seen anybody smoking, oh, wow. ever. Yeah. you know, and, and, and so I recognized, okay, our kids have been in, in a little bubble <laughs> and, and the world is going to. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna so we put them in the public school and, and and their first first day back we had stories about um douchebags and marijuana and I was like oh these are great conversations to have and so um you know that was that was a I sat both kids down and 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 gave them you know just told them exactly what a douchebag really was and what it was used for. And both of my kids are like, no, no, no more, no more. <laughs> so it's, but it's interesting how, how we think we're doing the best for our kids in, in protecting them and sheltering them. And then you put them out in the real world and, and you're like, who there's a yeah, lot out there that they're not prepared for. And they'll get fired for it. They get fired. They go, why? That wasn't fair. You didn't give me another chance. And so consequences are, and I'd rather my kids face consequences younger and learn from them so they can avoid those devastating consequences later. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I think, wow, we've, we, we definitely got down a rabbit hole there, but I think yeah. <laughs> the, the, the truth is helping them, helping them make better choices mm-hmm. and, and dealing with the consequences is, is allowing that, that growth, right. Is allowing yeah. that, all right, you mentioned your your camp poggy. I love that. <laughs> I'm a big advocate for for play and fun, and so I always want to ask folks, you know, how important is play and fun in life and business, and, and how do you inject, you know, play and fun into your life? Well, at Camp Poggy, our mantra is love God, love people, eat ice cream, oh. and uh, we. I want to laugh. I want to have a lot of fun. Do that with our kids because the truth is in life, 
mean, you don't have to read the headlines for a minute. And it's easy to fall down the rabbit hole of it. It's all coming to an end. This is the worst it's ever been. I don't know what we're going to do. Instead of the other side of that, of having fun, laughing. And what I've discovered, especially as I'm getting older, because my kids help me, is if you can laugh at yourself, everybody will laugh with you. You know, (laughs) so you you make fun of yourself or you do something, you just laugh big at it. And it's... It, it changes the whole environment. Uh, I, I mentioned before I, I play water volleyball. Well, there's, a, there's a group of guys that get together on a Monday night outside of our league that are some of the, the stronger players, I guess. But we played last Monday night. We were laughing our heads off, but we were hitting the ball as hard as we could. Playing as, but it was just a sense of release. There's something cathartic about laughing and having fun. And so often – we get running and we're so focused and we just got to lighten up some, you know, it, I, I've told people before, if you can't laugh at me, uh, laugh at yourself, laugh at me laughing at you because the truth is lighten up. Let's we, most of us take ourselves too serious and God, not serious enough. Flip the script, take God serious and yourself less serious. And if you'll do that, you can laugh at things you do. I mean, if you ever saw my golf game, you would laugh. Yeah, well, if you saw mine, you would laugh. <laughs> Pretty much everyone would laugh. <laughs> oh, that's so good. All right. This is going to be a tough one because you got a little history, but what was your favorite, most, most memorable date with your wife? Oh, wow. I've been married uh, 43 years now. Um, most memorable date. Can it be married date? or? <laughs> what? You, yeah, absolutely. Um, goodness. I, all right. I'm going to make it a married day. Our first cruise, we were married 15 years and we didn't have the kids. We left them with somebody else and it was our first time to not have kids. And I don't recommend that as a plan, uh, because you got, and what was interesting and fun at the same time, we had a ball on this cruise, but at the end of the cruise, we both admitted this. I wasn't sure. I mean, we'd have the kids around whether she would still like me hanging out with me. And she said the same thing because it hadn't been just us ever. And so it was one of the most fun cruises. I don't know if it was the best cruise, but I remember it more than all the others because it was just her and I, and we were reacquainting ourselves. The kids weren't there and we just had a ball. We, we danced every band down every night till nice. they quit and just, just had a ball there. And for me, that was because there was this pressure of, when we get alone together, are we still going to enjoy each other? Because we always had the kids around. And we enjoyed our kids, and they they were fun, but that's not healthy for adults. Not. And it was after that point I started dating my wife every week. But I wow. hadn't been up to that point. Great lesson. Yeah. yeah. So, so important to set yourself up. Remind I remind people all the time, look, your kids are a temporary assignment. And your wife your wife is a lifetime agreement. And so you, you should keep your wife the highest priority. And I think the best lesson you can show your kids is to love your wife. Well, yeah, the kids are going to grow up one day and leave you. (laughs) You hope whether you like it. You you hope Uh, a year ago, I would have said, man, it's not going to happen. And now they're both, they're both gone. My wife and I have had our first year of, of empty nesting. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if this is allowed for your podcast or not, so you can edit it. 
But I told my kids, we're empty nesters now. It's clothing optional in the house. So don't be, don't be surprised at us and just showing up because you may see something you can't forget. <laughs> that that might I might have a conversation with my wife because that might just keep them away more often. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. All right. Hal, what's the big dream? You know, I am loving what I'm doing now. One of the things I decided in this partial retirement was I was only going to do what I enjoyed and was life-giving. I mean, whether it's coaching and I've coached guys, I said, you know what, this isn't moving forward. You're in a good spot. You don't need this. And honestly, they weren't responding. So I drop them uh, because I only wanted to do what was life-giving where I could add value. If I can't add value to somebody, that's okay. I mean, I'm not everybody's coach and I'm not, uh, doubt on myself because of that. But life-giving to me is when I can help pour life into somebody else. So that's what I'm doing the rest of my life is, is going to be coaching as long as I can still keep going. And uh, I say that I, I work hard to stay in shape so I can slow down gravity, right? <laughs> yes, sir. That's fantastic. All right. Spend an hour having coffee with uh, an entrepreneur and you want to leave them with Hal's words of wisdom. What would you share? Buy low, sell high. No. <laughs> <laughs> today, today that's hard we, we, we're just trying to figure out how low it's gonna go that's right <laughs> you know i tell guys it's always too early to quit and it's never too early to start and so when you're out there you're gonna do some things that don't work don't don't make that your stopping point keep going keep testing keep finding new things i mean i, I love shark tank i don't know if you watch that or not but it's always interesting to find the serial entrepreneurs. The first couple of things they tried didn't work, but they kept trying things and then they hit gold. And, and that's what I want to say. Don't let your identity become what you created. Hmm. And, and so many guys say, well, I'm, my business only grew this big. So I'm, no, 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 no. Enjoy life. Keep asking questions and trying new things. Uh. So good. Al, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate what a great conversation, so much wisdom shared, and I just appreciated the fun we've had. Thanks, Robert. Great conversation, my friend. Have a great day. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. ADDValueMindset.com In our next episode, Tony and Allison talk about the challenges of buying a dying business and how the turnaround in mindset made it work. How they crafted a vision for their business of family first. Building a business is about being yourself, and for Tony and Allison, that means their family is involved. So the office is a place where their kids play and their golden retriever sits in on meetings.